You're listening to a sermon from Lakeview Baptist Church. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Good afternoon, Lakeview. Tonight's sermon will be from Galatians 5, titled Free in Christ. If you all don't know, I was, uh, I guess, saved, reared, and sent out of this church. I left for about a little shy of a decade and doing church planning efforts in uh, Atlanta and New Orleans. And my wife and I and our two boys uh, returned this past summer. We were faithful members now at this church and loving every minute of it. I've been gone, I guess, for a few months doing an interim about an hour from here. But uh, most of the time, Katie does come here with the boys because it's just easier for her to do that, being the interim's on Eastern time zone, and I get to hear her tell me every week that uh, the church was great, and praise God for this church, and this is really a special place, and God's continuing to do amazing things here, so I'm definitely honored to uh, be the one preaching here this uh, Sunday night, and I'm appreciative of all the pastors here and faithful members who have invested in my life and who are now investing in Katie and the boys' lives as well, so thank you all. But we've all heard those famous race stories that usually involves a racer starting off well, but to only end unimpressively. One of the most famous stories that come to mind is the tortoise and the hare. But one of my favorites is the story of a racehorse named Big Red. So Big Red on July 4th, 1972 in New York City, his very first race, he was bumped out of the gate, but made a very impressive surge at the end to finish fourth. His second race, he won by six lengths. His third race after he won, he became uh, a triple count favorite. And in that first season, he won seven out of nine races. And so in between the first season and the second season, the owner of the farm, Meadow Farm, passed away, and it left the, uh, a lot of taxes for the siblings. And so one of the siblings, the daughter, actually had the idea of selling 32 shares of this horse to hopefully save the family farm and uh, the family legacy. And so she uh, called in all these investors to come watch its uh, first race of that season, yet the horse finished fourth and really just kind of destroyed all the hopes and anticipation of this horse uh, saving the family farm, which left her and many others with the question of what happened. What happened to a horse that was destined for greatness? What intervened in this horse's life to have such an impressive first year, but then out of the gate of the second year to have an unimpressive race? Well, that's in a similar fashion to what the Christians in Galatia started off. They also started off hot and seemed destined for greatness until something intervened, which is why in Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15, Paul urged the believers to reject the false teachings that leads to slavery and bondage instead of freedom. He stated earlier in his letter, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ, which makes us wonder today as dedicated Christians to the Lord Jesus Christ, what obstacles are intervening and robbing us of our freedom today? The most common in Paul's day was the influence of false teachers causing believers to trade their freedom in for slavery, which is why Paul addressed them with the following. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, 
Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I, brother, still preach circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is filled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and gather freely as a body of Christ, God, without persecution, to have the ability to come and just worship you collectively, lay all things aside, all from the past week and the week to come, and just stop and pause, pump the brakes in this hour to just worship you. So please, Lord, open our minds, open our hearts to your truth so that we may leave here more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul's first point is that Christians are to live in freedom. The first verse is an important verse in Paul's letter because it emphasizes his key point. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the repetition of this verbiage and the emphasis of voice makes this verse the obvious goal he wants for the believers. And the usage of the word again makes it obvious that this has been a reoccurring problem. See, the people in that region were known for their drunkenness and how easily they were impressed with new ideas, which often challenged the liberties of the gospel. They were also highly superstitious and fickle, basic characteristics of a pagan culture, which is why Paul, in this letter, contested the believers that were reverting back to slavery by worshiping idols and serving the law for salvation, known as Judaizing. So these Judaizers taught that it was necessary to adopt Jewish customs and practices, especially those found in the law of Moses, to be saved. Understandably so, because the believing Gentiles recognized God's historical favor upon the Jews. It was Jews that delivered the message to them more than likely. And I would think it made it tempting to revert back to or add to their message and practices for Salvation. It culturally made sense to do that, to blend the old with the new, which would make sense for Paul to give this simple reprimand. Yet he rebuked these Jewish te teachings sternly and urgently, calling the Christians to live in freedom. But why would he do that? Why would he rebuke them to embrace this freedom they have from the works of the law? Well, it was simple. He did not want them to be robbed of their freedom. But that raises another question, what does it mean to live in freedom? What is our freedom as believers? 
pastors read it this uh, earlier just a few minutes ago, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weak and out of flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So obviously that is a mouthful, but prior to the believer's faith in Christ, they were slaves to sin. They possess a fallen nature as do we, making us enslaved to this universal problem of the flesh, which is a sinful nature, making us a slave to that nature. They and us cannot go without sinning. It's going to happen. We are in this hopeless state of being because our sin is going to give us what we deserve, and that is death and ultimately eternal separation from God, which is a reality that is hard to hear, but we are destined for hell outside of Christ. There's zero freedom or ability to change that. We are sinners. A thief will steal. A liar will lie. Deceivers will deceive. Just last night, I'm laying down to go to bed at 10 o'clock. They're building a house next door to us. I hear somebody pull up in front of it. It catches my attention because nobody should be parked out in front of that house at 10 o'clock. I look out my window, and they're loading stuff up on the back of the truck. And uh, before I can think through whether or not I should call the cops, they're gone. Five minutes later, they return with an empty uh, truck bed, and they begin to load up another load. So obviously, the right thing to do was to call the police. I called the police and uh, told them what was going on and watched out the window for, uh, they missed them for about two minutes. The, the thieves left, the cops pulled up, they missed the whole show, but uh, it was entertaining for us and kept us up for a while. But uh, the point was, was I surprised? No. That's the world that we live in. We spent six years in uh, New Orleans and crime is crazy there. And you see sin just in your face every single day, whether it's murder, Murders is lying, is stealing, whatever. Sin is in your face, similar to what is going on here. However, the gospel teaches us that Christ broke that curse on the cross, providing new life to us through his spirit. So when you receive this free gift of forgiveness, by faith, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live a new life that is no longer enslaved to your sin, meaning you have the supernatural ability to overcome a sinful nature that is eternally doomed. The curse is broke. Paul expounds on this point in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 24. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, they, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing, what, doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, on and on and on. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and 
desires. So the Holy Spirit empowers forgiven sinners of faith to live freely from the bondage of sin and its passions and desires. But in order to live in freedom, we must understand the source of that freedom, which takes us to our next section. Christians are to live in truth. So Paul transitioned from his goal for the churches in Galatia to the process for attaining that freedom, which confronted what influenced their faith. He responded, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I, Paul, initiates this force of affirmation because he was a circumcised Jew saying circumcision will be of no advantage to you. See, he was not anti-Jew. He just saw the incompleteness of their teachings, specifically circumcision having no value for their salvation. It was a stumbling block to the gospel of grace, making the point that Jesus, the apex of God's covenantal promise, initiated this new beginning where God's people have God's law written on their hearts, forgiveness of sins, and his spirit in them to empower them to love and obey his commands. Prior to Christ, the circumcisions, additional Jewish customs, covenants played the specific role in pointing to the one who would perfectly keep, fulfill, and transcend the law of God, inaugurate his kingdom through his life, death, and resurrection. Therefore, in a nutshell, the commands and teachings of the Old Testament have always pointed to faith, not works, which is why Paul continued his point saying, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He wanted them to know that if they chose to believe by works, they would have to reach perfection. Yet Scripture teaches us that perfection is impossible. Jesus and some does not work in Paul's theology. He said in verse 4, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. His point was that salvation by works sends you in the opposite direction of Christ. The bond of faith by grace is broken. It's nullified by works, which calls Paul to reiterate the message of faith in verse 5, saying, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This is a clear statement of God's salvific process of faith. I mentioned earlier in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, which implies the war on sin that we have that we're involved with until Christ returns. See, there's justification. When you believe you're justified, your salvation is secure. And until glorification happens, you're in this sanctification process. So you are becoming more like Christ each and every day. And part of that process of you becoming more like Christ is that war on sin. I think it's safe to assume that these believers were not intentionally trying to go back to a faith of works. I think they were experiencing sin in their life. They, they experienced God's grace when they believed and probably had a season where they were high on that grace, as do we when we're new believers. Yet we know that sin finds its way back into our lives. It just finds its way back, and we struggle with this whole reality of sin still being here, this here-but-not-yet process that we're in. 
But that's strategic. It's strategic in the fact that we are becoming more like Christ through this process by denying, embracing the Spirit, denying our flesh, and running to the cross. Paul's usage of we in this verse implies that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul is no different, and neither are we in this sin problem. We're all turning from God on our own, with our own being. And just like Paul's forward address, he pushes them and points them to the future crown of complete redemption. And today we embrace that same here, but not yet struggle, knowing that we have a war on sin that is strategic in our growing in Christ's likeness. Paul wraps this point up saying, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So circumcision or uncircumcision are equally valueless. Both are irrelevant in Christ. No meaning or value in relation to our current freedom or future salvation, just like a theological significance that's misinterpreted, much like the American calendar today. Look at where that has, what that has become. I mean, it was intentionally designed to point us as a nation, as corporally, collectively, to God routinely through the year throughout the calendar year. Now it's just turned into a big marketing scheme, and obviously some of us try to hold on to its values, but in the world in general, it's just nobody knows the true meaning of Christmas or Easter. It's just something that has been misinterpreted and misapplied. Paul continued by stating, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He emphasized the severity of this false teaching by stressing how the smallest of perversions will destroy their freedom. Unless checked, this Judaizing tendency, though small, will permeate all the churches in Galatia, which is why in verse 10, Paul said, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. What's interesting is that Paul did not rebuke them or put guilt or shame on them. He just pointed them to truth. He gave them hope, assurance in the attributes of God in their trouble instead of condemnation. He affirmed God's provision to protect those he calls and punishes those who trouble them, placing his confidence in God, not man. Though weakened, they will not be defeated. He validated this truth by saying, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. We see this as we look at Paul's journey from his old to new, from Saul to Paul. As a Judaizer, he was not being persecuted. He was the one in charge of the persecutions. He was the one making the request to go and persecute, destroy the Christians. And so he was living that high life there until he surrendered his life to the Lord. And the script flipped on him. And then he began to experience persecution. He started going against the grain, against the current. And what happened? Persecution came his way. 
which shows us, it validates that there's something to this message. We still see it today. The persecution, the hate upon Christians today is evidence that there is something here that is obviously real. God is working in our lives. And then Paul said, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So he had zero sympathy for those who were swaying God's people from the Christian freedom. He wanted them to go pretty much all the way, which reveals the seriousness of the matter. It takes me back. It it reminds me of my time as a new believer, uh, which was at the age of 21. And so not growing up in church, I really didn't have all these Christian friends in my life and really didn't even know how to interact with Christians in in that early season of my faith. And so I, I kept trying to be that new believer among lost people. And it just wouldn't work. It didn't work. It kept swaying me back into my old patterns, my old works, my old self-righteousness, my, my me-centered theology of, of happiness, the pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness. And yet it never worked out. I always hit that dead end until finally, uh, thanks to Brother Al, I lost all those friends, which helped me establish... <laughs> um, which helped me establish new friends, Christian friends, that helped me grow in my faith and in that freedom. So living in freedom requires you to live in truth, which causes you to live in love. Our last section tonight, Christians are to live in love. And this is where I really want to pump the brakes and let the rubber meet the road. Paul said, for you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul concludes his charge by describing the right uses and limitations of our freedom the completed race and liberties of our faith. His previous point reminded the believers of God's unconditional provisions, regardless of our decisions and actions. But he concludes with the conditional aspects of our faith. See, our salvation is secure. We cannot lose it. We know that. We embrace that. However, if you don't embrace God's truth and submit to his spirit, you will be robbed of your freedom. You will be robbed of your Christian liberties, which Paul said is the freedom to love and serve, to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe this is where we're struggling today. This is where we are struggling as believers. We have the truth of our eternal securities nailed down, hands down. Almost every believer I know and me understands that their salvation is secure, and there's nothing in this world that will ever separate us from that security. However, when it comes to our freedom and how we should respond to our salvation, it has been distorted or forgotten. Americanizing, modern-day Judaizing tells us to pursue health, wealth, and happiness, to place God on the shelf and pursue the American dream. 
For my decade plus in ministry, I've witnessed the American dream, the American culture suck the passion and priority of God right out of believers' lives. I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it in many's life. Just think of what the American culture tells you to do, to enjoy your freedoms of the youth. Enjoy your, your time as a single individual. Party hard, make all the memories, and then spend all your energy and time to find that soulmate. And then as you pursue that soulmate, you find that soulmate, you court them, and then you look into engagement, you focus on engagement, and then when you get through that season of engagement, you start focusing all on the wedding, place all your focus, time, and energy on the wedding. That big day comes, the honeymoon, you go, you come back, and then you embrace the grind of life and work, but you put all your time and energy in that to buy that home and that subdivision to keep up with your friends, your neighbors on social media, to buy the new cars, the new cell phones, the latest fashion trends, all these good things that come our way, yet unfortunately cause us to put God in the back seat. And <laughs> when that happens, when we pursue that happiness, when we, when we make our lives more about us, when we become me-centered instead of Christ-centered, we know that it is just an imp that void that's within us gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And see, we just get a little bit further away from God just one season at a time. And we find ourselves drifting in this pattern of life without God ever being in it, without God directing our course in the lie of this false gospel that America throws at us is that you will be happy. But God is telling us and God has reminded us in our word that freedom from the law does not mean freedom for our unholy living or me living. It's not the freedom to sin, it's freedom from the bondage of sin. And that's the greatest gift we could ever receive until Christ comes. We're not enslaved to our lust. We're not enslaved to our greed, our hate, our envy. As Christians, that doesn't chart our day. That doesn't direct our path. God has said, here's my spirit to break that bondage. You've been forgiven. All you have to do is embrace my truth. Live by my truth. Rely on my spirit and you're no longer enslaved to that sinful nature of yours. And that is good. So you're freedom to do what Christ, you are free to do what Christ wants instead of what sin demands. And that's love, serve, and obey his commands. Your freedom is a springboard into godly living that glorifies God. And back to our big red story. As Adam and his team Join me back on stage. After his devastating loss in a race that was intended to prove his worth and sell the shares for the purpose of saving the farm and family legacy, an abscess was found in the roof of his mouth two weeks before the Kentucky Derby that was believed to have bothered him severely. The following race, two weeks later, the Kentucky Derby, 
Big Red was healed and ready to go. Big Red was also known as Secretariat, who finished the course record that still stands strong today, became famous to win the Triple Crown in 25 years. Closest competitor was 31 lengths behind. Penny Shinnery gave Secretariat's owner did not give up on him despite the obstacles, despite the setbacks. Neither did Paul with the Galatians, neither will Late View with you, and more importantly, neither will Christ with his church. See, I'm confident, as was Paul, that your stumbling bots that you're struggling with today, the things that have set you back in your faith, have robbed you of your freedom in Christ weren't and aren't intentional. They were not and are not intentional. We're just sheep doing what sheep do when we get a little too far to hear our shepherd's voice, and that's going astray. It's what our sinful nature does, and we don't run to the cross every day. We don't live in in those mercies, in Jesus' mercies, we will fall back into that slavery of sin. And what do sheep do when they hear their shepherd's voice? They respond. And that's what I wanted you to do tonight. Whether it's at these altars or there in your pew, respond to your shepherd's voice. Respond to his voice. Confess your sins and make it your ambition, your goal to move, leave here tonight a changed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Cut out whatever you have to cut out. Give it up for his glory. Whatever's in the way of embracing your freedom to live and serve. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to obey your commands. God, that liberty that has changed us, Father, and is directing our paths is a gift that we can't even fathom. And oh, how heartbreaking it is to see the good things of this world distract us from serving you intervene in our unity, distort our love for one another. And so, God, we're asking for your strength as we know your strength is there to be applied, to recognize those distractions, God, recognize them, rebuke them, turn from them, and run into your freedom so that we can serve, love, and obey you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we wanna start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.